another Mentors Military podcast coming at you from 15 Perry Street. And uh, we've got my sidekick next to me, Paul Martinez. Hey, everybody. And we're going to get into another episode here with Angie. Angie, first off, thanks for traveling all this way and being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. We're going to get into your background, and I didn't know too much about it. I just love what you're doing now, So, but I want to take us back, and you maybe tell me a little bit about the very beginnings, uh, and then we'll jump into the now okay. and some of the cool stuff that you're doing here now and stuff. So is North Carolina always been home for you? Because No, I am from New York. And you said that earlier. I, yeah. I forgot to mention that because Paul now lives in New York. He's not... He'll make sure he'll Why tell you he live there? he's not from That's New York. That's a good question. That's a really good question I've I been really asking myself. I'm questioning your character right now. <laughs> so, Paul, why do you live there? Well, long story short, I used to have a cattle ranch. I'm not a very good rancher. It went under. But I also had a book deal, and my publisher was in New York, and they said, we don't do national book tours, but you can get the same exposure if you're here. So a lady that I had shopped horses with in New York had a, a cottage and a horse that came with it, and I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this for a little while. I'll do my regional book tr- tour. And, you know, I've got a horse to ride right next to a state park. So that's how it started. But then I got involved in the different uh, equine foundations out there that help veterans. And the concentration of veterans in New York and Long Island is extremely high. So it's a small area, but there's a tons, of, tons of vets. So it's easy to access them and get them out to do what I love, which is, you know, horses and vets. So I've... I had opportunities to help out with places like Warrior Ranch and Equine Immersion Project. And a good buddy of mine is probably the best harness trainer in the world. So we go to Yonkers Racetrack or Meadowlands and we take the vets out on the post parade and they're real race horse, real race cart out on a real racetrack. That's and it's, cool. It's just freaking cool. So, so Long Island areas where you're at then? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm yep. from Buffalo. Oh, okay. So it's not as cold where you're at no. as Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why I hate it so much. Yeah, well, Buffalo, I mean, it's basically Canada, right? Yeah. It's the Arctic. It's stupid. Yeah, well, yeah. it's no, like thank you. crazy yeah. cold up there. The food is amazing. Really? And that is literally the only good thing besides my family that is, like, <laughs> in New York. Like, when I go home, I'll gain, like, 10 pounds. So I just crush all the pizza and wings. Like, New York food is so good. Yeah, I, I agree yeah. with that. I have to attest to that. Yeah. And down south, it's like you can't find good pizza and wings to save your life. I it's found so some good wings, but definitely not pizza. Yeah, pizza. Well, it depends, I guess, what kind of pizza you like. Real pizza. What? Well, true. <laughs> I, I would agree with you. I actually don't really care for deep dish and prefer Not pizza. New York style pizza. I mean, there's just something about that. The sauce is very different. The texture, the taste, I don't know. So, yeah. you know, it's sort of like Pepsi Coke. Yeah. New York pizza. Yep. Yep. Can't Bagels go wrong. and pizza. <laughs> I mean, if I find a local establishment that really pumps up New York, and, that, and not only that, but, you know, New York pizza-style pizza, and that they came from there, whatever, I'm buying that pizza. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you've got a customer in me. I'm go- That's, that's your best bet. There's a place in Raleigh. It's called Buffalo Bros, and, like, guys from Buffalo that are from, like, my area, they own it. I guess they own a couple around, I don't know, down south somewhere. And they have everything shipped in from Buffalo. So, like, the wings and everything. Really? I, I'm, I don't know how I haven't gone yet, but I've heard, like, really good things about it. Mm, do they make, like, their own dough and everything? Or they Yeah, get I guess. It's just, like, they have everything shipped in from Buffalo, and they do it, like, all the same. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if you want it to taste like the original, you've got to get it the raw materials yeah. from the source. Yeah. Yeah. doesn't make – use local stuff. It's probably going to like, taste like North Carolina yep. pizza. Cardboard. 
Papa Murphy's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so New York is home, and um, what did make you go into the uh, the army? Oh man, uh, getting out of Buffalo. I mean, no, that's most I mean, of our like story. I, yeah, I always, I always wanted to leave, and I never wanted to go to college. I just was not that kid. I was, you know, smart mouthed into sports and horses, and I feel like my teachers just passed me because they didn't want to hear me anymore. Mm. So I was like, I'm not going to go to college, waste my parents' money, and probably drop out. So it was always the plan was just to go into the military. So. I did. Always. Wait, you said a plan always. Yeah, from like freshman year, I was like, yeah, I'm huh. gonna go into the military, and that was just, I was stuck on it. So what what caused that? Family member or no, something? No, um, my great grandpa. He was the only one in our family that's been in the military, so nobody hmm. else has been in the military. Um, just no, something my, you saw on TV. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just curious. No, you're good. I, you know, I don't even really know. I think it was just the whole military thing. Like I was always a tomboy and very like mm -hmm. rough and tough and hanging out with the guys. And so the military, I was just drawn to it. It was so exciting. I was like, just that feeling of like, oh my gosh, like my family would be so proud of me and this would be so badass. Like I was just all about it. I think what's so, so fascinating is that, you know, and that's the reason why I kept like going in that direction, but um, we all come from different walks of life. And it's one of the best things I loved about the military because I can now tell my children of times where, you know, it didn't matter what ethnicity, background, country, whatever, it, religion, we came together. Yeah. And, and then when you set back, you know, and it's years later and you're a veteran and we're having these types of conversations, it's just interesting to hear that beginning. What was that trigger moment? What was that thing that caused you to go in and yeah everybody yeah. has a, a similar but different i mean they, i think probably everybody in this room had this thing of well at least uh, the three of us i can't remember paul but uh getting the heck out of where we were i mean yes <laughs> and where else can you go to have exposure to everybody literally a microcosm of the entire country i forgot to introduce you kelly i'm kelly folks yeah kelly roby <laughs> Yeah, I mean, where else can you go where everybody, every different ethnicity, everything is in the military? There's no real place like that if you just get out and you're a civilian. You don't really experience that. And this, it's not, it's, I liked it because it's apolitical, right? Mm -hmm. There's none of that drama. You're all working towards that shared experience or, yeah. or purpose. I don't know if they still do, but back in the day it was, we're all green. You remember? Yeah. You know, yeah. so forget all that other stuff. You know, you're green right now, you know. Yeah, but I mean, it's true. I remember... You know, obviously, I'm sure you guys did too, but like going right after high school and stuff, you know, when you're in high school, you pick your friends by like who's cool and who the wears clicks. this. Yeah. And it was so funny, like my closest friends in boot camp. And then like after we graduate, like seeing the way that they dressed and stuff. And I was like, wow, like I never would have probably talked to you or hung out with you based off of that, like, I'm an asshole. You know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy. It really opens your eyes as to like, who you really want to surround yourself with based off of like their personality and their character yeah. and who you'd surround yourself with in high school, just based off of like popularity mm -hmm. and stuff. Like it was wild to me. It was really like eye opening. Yeah. I mean, you got crazy cool tats, by the way. Thank you. Um, but that would be sometimes an identifier of, oh yeah, she's a tat girl. Yeah, my mom says I look like a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> How does she? 
correlate one with the I other. I don't know what <laughs> that was her thing was when I got it. She was like, you're in the army. You have a sleeve and a bunch of other tattoos and you drive a truck. People are going to think you're a lesbian. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, so wow. be it, mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, did you have any before you came in? Uh, yeah, I had like a few like on my side and my feet and stuff like that. But then, yeah, after I joined, that's when I got pretty, pretty heavy into it. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, of course, Paul, you have a bunch. Yeah, it's quite yeah. addictive. Do you have any Kelly? I didn't ask. You. I have. I have the regretful tattoo on my shoulder. Oh. I have a Grateful Dead tattoo on my <laughs> my right shoulder. Oh, it's that, not as bad as mine would have been. It would have been a Tasmanian Devil, uh, which is what I wanted to get when I was 18 years I think old. You Could you imagine? Get it. Yeah. I think it's not too late, Rob. That's stupid right. as all get out, though. <laughs> Could you imagine? Nobody sees it except my kids, and they don't know what it is, so it's just a blob. <laughs> now, at this point, I should probably get it retouched up, but it's kind of pinkish. Or covered over, yeah. Kind of blue. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Looks nice. like a prison tat now. Prison tat. <laughs> just tell everybody that's what it is. Exactly. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. there you there go. You go. Yeah. Yeah. street credit. Especially when you take your shirt off at the pool yeah. with the dad bod. Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, so you end up going to the Army. What did you end up going into? What what, what MOS? Uh, yeah, so I was a truck driver at Idiot first. Mike. Yeah, and then um, in 2013 or 2014, um, when I was deployed is when they started opening up combat MOSs to females. So yeah. I reenlisted, and I was one of the first females to go into the field artillery. So then no. I, yeah. Cool. yeah. What was that like? Um, I absolutely loved it. Okay, so did you had to go back to AIT yep. with regular trainees, or were you guys put in a different cycle? Yeah, no, so um, there was quite a few guys that were also doing the same thing as I was, mm -hmm. like reclassing, and then we were also, you know, in with brand new. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting. It was definitely a lot more fun than when I originally went through AIT because, you know, I'd already been deployed, like all this stuff, so... You know, all the cadre, they're super cool with you. You know, you don't have to follow the same rules. It's just kind of... What go. rank were you at that time? E4? Yeah, I was at E4. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, so. when you said you, you got to go back, though, you didn't have to go through the basic training because it's no. usually one-station unit training. So yeah, whenever they no. finish that first segment, then you rolled in. Yeah. Well, so the Army, the way that they do it now is a lot of times, like, they're in, like, South Carolina and sometimes Oklahoma and stuff, but it's different... They wouldn't stay with the same cadre from basic training into AIT. You go to basic training and then you'd go like to a different. Oh, I mean, I thought artillery is no. combat arms, right? So yeah, not but I one think that training infantry is like the only one that does that where it's like rolled does, straight it? through. No? The arm, oh, you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I know why when I went through armor was one station unit training, you know, so it was, again, you, you just stayed with the same drill sergeants. Oh, or no. like when 14, I went through 16 it, weeks, 2010, you know? it wasn't like that. Hmm. Only infantry was the only one that I, yeah, knew I don't about. think, I don't like think my wife was Intel and I don't think, uh, I don't know. It may have been the same base, but it was not all the same. Like when yeah. they went to their AIT for Intel school or whatever. Yeah. It was different. Yeah. So you had to go through the AIT portion of this whole thing yeah. as an E4. Um, were you then the only female in that as well? Um, so they had just started bringing females through, so like ones that had enlisted mm -hmm. for that job. So it was like very interesting because there was obviously no female cadre. And so all the male cadre were like, hey, 
you need to fix these females' hair. Like, you need to do this. And I was like, that's not my job. Like, <laughs> Oh, that's right, because yeah, you're Yeah, I was the only one. So, yeah, so I was like, okay, like, whatever. So they wouldn't take them to the shop at to get, like, gel. So I'm, like, going out, collecting money from them, going and buying them gel and, like, giving them classes on how to do their hair. I'm like, how did you not learn this in basic training? So then um, the sergeant major that was there, he was trying to get my orders changed to make me cadre because he was like, obviously now that we have females coming in, like we need female cadre. Like right out of AIT or yeah. are you working on it? Like yeah. when you're done, you're yeah. gonna stay. Yeah, they wanted me to. Yeah. And thankfully that did not happen. <laughs> and I went to Fort Bragg and yeah, that's where I spent the rest of my time. Well, um, well at Fort Bragg, did you get 82nd? No, so I was a 13 Mike, that's the MLRS, and they don't have those in the 82nd. So we were um, 18th Fires Brigade. MLRS is the, the, the rocket yep. shooter thing. Yeah, so yeah. They, you can't really be, <laughs> there's no point in you being airborne because obviously, you know, you yeah, can't they don't really drop like it. drop the whole truck out of there. So, yeah. yeah. Why not? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, send it. Too heavy. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, they used to do. They can Sherman's drop, they right. Can drop tanks. tanks. They could do it. They just don't need to. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they just drop you in, and then the vehicle shows. Well, up. they do some cool stuff. They'll like put you in the plane, and then they'll like land and put it down and be driving, and you drive off at the same time, and then they just that's fly what they Yeah. So they do some cool stuff. Did you get to do that? I did not get to do that. No. All right. I wish. So you arrive at Fort ba uh, Bragg. I'm assuming you're one of the few females then yep i was the only female that was like in field artillery there was um what is it like i forget what it's even called like the 42 alphas and stuff like that you know paperwork like there was females admin yeah <clears throat> of that but yeah i was the first first one there and it was awesome i loved it because there was no drama and then as the females started like rolling in more and more i was like okay now I understand why they don't want us in the combat arms because you guys ruin basically everything. Really? Yes. Why? Why'd you how feel so? that way? Yeah. How it so? Just, it's a. I feel like it's just a certain type of female that really is meant for that. Like obviously, females can physically do it, mentally do it, but a lot of the females that come in, they did it because it sounded cool. And then they get there and they don't want to actually do the work. So then they start being cute and getting out of stuff and, mm. you know, the drama, you know, and it's just like, okay, you're giving everybody a bad name by doing this. So it just, would you pull them aside? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Were you an E5 at this point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was frustrating because it's like, you know, you can be respected mm -hmm. by just being one of the guys, like they're going to respect you more if you do the right thing. You don't get out of doing hard work because you're a female. You know, like there's ways around it, but a lot of females don't go about it the right way. So that was very frustrating. Did it make you, I'm just curious at that time frame, because things were opening up, did it make you think about maybe going into the soft community? Um, I wanted to. Where maybe you would be, again, a trailblazer, but in a very different way, but maybe you, around males who it's just more about are you carrying your weight yeah. are you doing what you're supposed to be doing and they really don't care from the most part you know they they don't care yeah no i always wanted to do all the the gung-ho stuff like i was drinking all the kool-aid when i was in like i was all about it 
So that was always a plan of mine. I didn't know what I wanted to do, whether it be CA or PSYOP, stuff like that. And then when they started opening it up, like SF for females. But um, when I was at Fort Campbell is when they opened up Ranger School to females. So I was in second brigade and I started doing like the Ranger PT program and all that stuff. And um, it was when I re-enlisted or something, my mom came down and my sergeant major was talking to my mom about me going to Ranger School and how like they had me on the list and how they were so proud. And then I found out that I had to shave my head. So I was like, oh, sorry, Major, like, I'm not going to go anymore. So I had to go, <laughs> I had to go see my brigade sergeant major and explain to him why I was like, not going to go. But let's, let's talk about that for a <laughs> moment. Hold on. They're still doing that. Like they did that. They made him shave. Yeah. Their head. yeah. Why? Uh, because I mean, the guys have to shave their heads. So because I, Just yeah, I don't because. know. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't Paul. make any sense. Yeah, right. but I was like, I'm not doing that shit. Like, yeah, but if you didn't think about it, if if they didn't, then they're not going through the exact same thing that the guys are. So the guys there would be like, well, I was just gonna leave her hair out. How come I couldn't leave my hair out? You yeah. know, I mean, sure. But but yeah, let's. I'm, I'm with you. For, for women, it is a bit different about hair. Yeah. I mean, me, I, I'm I'm probably one of these guys. Like, I'd rather have a bald head, shaved head. It's just easier to maintain. I don't have to worry about it. It's too much to worry about the style, you know? And I would. My, I, I did it last summer and freaked my kids and my wife out. They're like, don't do that again, please. Yeah, I'm you like, have very nice so hair. I was going to say, you got awesome yeah. hair. It was really long and I was cutting it and we were going somewhere and I'm like, I'll just take it all off. And I was like, whoa, wow. that makes my face look really round. Oh. My wife was like, don't just grow your hair back, please. <laughs> Wear a hat. Don't, don't, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but it is it is very different. Well, true, you I always wear a hat because uh, it doesn't show the gray nearly as much, especially if I don't have a beard, which I is mine. Is, I embrace it, the gray. Mm, yeah, okay. I don't. I don't embrace. It. <laughs> anyway, so the hair with women and stuff, it's very different, though, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But what was it? I mean, was it just that that it, you know? Oh, it'll grow back. That's the way I look at it. I don't. I don't know. I've just obviously I have like very long hair. I've always had long hair. That's just. I don't know. I couldn't get past that. And it was to me, I wasn't like passionate about it. Like, oh, I want to be a ranger. It was just like, mm. I wanted to prove that, you know, I was a badass and that chicks could do it. That's why I wanted to do it. It had nothing yeah. to do with like me really being passionate about it. So I was like, I'm not going to shave my hair off when look at how many guys fail. I was just like, that's a, that's a no for me. So dog. what you saw is I'm going to be there four weeks, shave my head, and then I'm going to have to yeah. come back and grow it all out. Hell no. <laughs> yeah. That was a hard no for me. It's not so much the shaved head part. I think it would be the growth after. Yeah. Like, I like just that like, weird phase before it looks the like. The whole thing. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing. I, yeah. So I just sat there and getting like reamed out about like how, you know, they thought that it was bullshit. And I'm like, okay, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm, that's bullshit. <laughs> Got it. I'm like. Still not doing it. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So. How many uh, years did you end up spending then total? Um. Because you said you went to Bragg seven. and then Campbell. Seven? Okay. Yeah. Um, I got diagnosed with a heart disease. So. Oh. Yeah. So they obviously wouldn't let me stay in. And that's why I got out. I would have stayed in full 20. Easy. Easy? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think that's why I've kind of started doing what I'm doing now because like a lot of people, you know, you get out of the military and that's all I ever want to do. So, you know, I was like, I felt so good about myself and my family was so proud and all this. And then it's like, okay, 
now what do I do? You know, and I was married. Um, we moved from Fort Bragg to South Carolina, and he got like a, a weird instructor job at a college. Like so, ROTC type Yeah, thing? it was like a weird, the Patton Fellowship or something. It was when oh, they I've were. I've never heard of that. Have you? So yeah. they took um, white infantry officers and sent them to historically black colleges to try and recruit more, I guess, people into combat arms. It was a whole program on it. And he got like a master's degree out of it and like all this wow. stuff off of this program. Yeah, it was like a big push for a while. So that's why we went to South Carolina. And I remember being like, okay, well, you know, I have to get a job. Like, what do I do? So I was trying to get a job and it was like, my almost eight years in the military meant absolutely nothing. But yet, like everything was like, oh, you need a two year degree and literally anything and you can have this job. But, oh, you know, you're eight years in the military. That doesn't mean anything like that's no good here. So I was like, wow, I literally can't get a job because I don't have a degree. So it just like blew my mind. I was like, how is it that military members can give up so much of their time and their life and like, you know, look at my resume versus somebody who's gone to college. Like, look at everything that I've done and been in like control over. But yet you're gonna tell me I can't have a job because I don't have a two year degree in literally anything. So that's when I started going to college online and I was like working at a car dealership and just hating my life. Then um, I got pregnant and had my daughter and I just did kind of like the stay at home mom thing for a little bit. And then it was like a year and a half ago, um, last November, I got the opportunity to buy the place that I have now. I used my VA loan and I bought my house and it's got like 40 acres. So you say 40? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I bought that and then I turned it into a business and then I just still wasn't happy. So a business how, what was a, um, so it's mainly horse boarding and then also do some like training sales lessons, <clears throat> things like that. And I had it listed as a horse hotel cause I'm like right on 95. Mm. So people going from like Florida to New York all the time. So, so 40, not all 40 acres are for the horses. You probably have I'm assuming, or are they, so are they all fenced in for the horses or is it like yeah. maybe five, 10 acres? No. Okay. No. Yeah. It's like all fenced in. There's probably maybe three or four that's like in the woods and I'm not using right now, but the rest of it, it's just like massive pastures and I've got a riding arena, round pens. Now I've got like a little Mustang barn going on and everything for that. So and and so that's how it it all started you just decided okay i'm going to be an entrepreneur and yeah so the 40 acres was it um it, you know you just bought it like as taking a loan out and that type of thing or did well, you I use used my va loan i was gonna okay, yeah. yeah was yep. it already set up for horses yeah okay yep it was pretty nice. much set up how i needed it you know i just started boarding and then once I started making some money that's when I started you know doing like the fine-tuning to things that I wanted but I just I still wasn't happy you know it's just like that drive to do something you know I was like okay I love horses that's like 
my other passion besides being in the military. That's why I did it. But I was like, I am not passionate about dealing with people and their horses. You know, horse people are crazy. You yeah. know this, Paul. I, I, you know, <laughs> tell me. I don't. Horse that, people are insane. I mean, I, I, I raised, bit. I was in a family that raised horses, but yeah. then we also boarded horses and stuff as well. But that was a long time ago. I don't remember the crazy people part. Oh, so. yeah. It's got, uh, you might have been part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, think about somebody who like still drives a Model T every day, you know? Like, it's kind of like that. Like, I see those people. You got to be a little bit, you got to be passionate. Yeah. And the, you, they can be very. You're saying intense. It, when you sure, say crazy, you're intense. like intensely passionate about. Sometimes, you know, sometimes. But there's like both ends of the spectrum, especially mm -hmm. for boarding. So I have like the people who are, you know, very intense and very like, oh my gosh, this horse kicked my horse. And I'm like, yeah, no shit, they're horses. Like that's literally what they do. Like, what do you want me to do about it? I can't do anything. And then I also have people that like, should not have horses that I am the one that is paying to get their horse's feet done and they're not paying their board and you know what I mean? So mm -hmm, it's like, mm -hmm. you're I'm, more worried about the animal yeah, than they are. Yeah. Like Ryan all the time, he's like, you're doing this to yourself. And I'm like, but I have to, because I can't like as who I am, let this horse suffer because their owner sucks. Mm -hmm. He's like, we'll kick them out. But if I kick them out, where are they going to go? They're going to go somewhere that somebody's not going to care and they're not going to get their feet done. And they're not going to get taken care of. And that's just going to be what it is, you know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it does happen. Yeah. It's then, a struggle. And then they end up in a, you know, kill years pen down the or, line, they're in a, in a kill yeah. pen. So yeah. it's just, I don't know. So you raised horses though, growing up, because mm -hmm. you mentioned horses in the very yeah. beginning. Um, but going back to that, you, you just didn't find that as your passion, just doing it as raising horses and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, like when I was in the army, I had my horses, I was still barrel racing and like involved in horses. And then even like when we were in South Carolina and I had my daughter, like I'd always had my horses still, but, um, but what was not satisfying? What did you, I don't know. It's like hard to explain. I was just like missing it. If that makes sense. Like I just could tell that something was missing and mm. it was like, cause I think a lot of people get off active duty and that's what they do is they go to something that's comfortable to them. Like, you know, well, I, I was on a farm, I raised horses, I did this and they think that's going to bring them joy. What I'm hearing is that you did that and you just didn't, it didn't yeah, I it did didn't in fulfill the beginning. You. And then I was like, okay, this is like, it's not it. You know, I just, I'm still, I guess, chasing that feeling of like being in and feeling like I'm doing something and making a difference. So that's when, you know, I finally like took the leap into starting my nonprofit because, you know, Mustangs have always been like a big thing for me. I just, I love them, like the history of them, you know, spirit got all of us little girls started they, on Mustangs. Well, are they everything of what you hear? I mean, wild, crazy, you know. Yeah. Yeah, okay. but I mean, it's like, that's because they're like the purest, truest form of a horse. You know what I mean? Like they have like all their horse senses that they should have. It's not because they're mean. It's just because they're scared. They don't know, you know, we've, they're out, they're wild, they're free, living their best life. And then out of nowhere, these helicopters come in and you know, split them up from their family. And like herd is everything. Wow, for you're horses. painting one of those 
commercials that you know donate a hundred dollars yeah month i mean say, it's you know, sad <laughs> i mean yeah. it is but sad it's sad it, like if if you look into these roundups like so many horses die during these roundups because they will push them with these helicopters for like over 20 miles so like the older ones the younger ones like they break legs they just literally their hearts give out they die like there's like around like 20 horses in this push in nevada that just happened a couple months ago that like died so it's like it's so sad and then they do that they split them all up from their herd their family and now they're in these like tiny crappy holding facilities and they're just gonna live their life there in hopes of getting adopted and i mean a lot of people don't have the time the knowledge or the want to take these quote unquote crazy horses mm -hmm. and make them into something so I mean, it's or if so they do, sad. maybe it goes yeah. back to the t the horse people that you were talking about earlier yeah. that may just not understand that they are it not happens. horse people. They yeah. shouldn't. They shouldn't all be doing time. it, and especially if you're doing a Mustang. Yeah, I mean, you know, all the time you hear about. So they're supposed to be. I don't even really know. I need to know more about it with um, the Mustangs going to the kill pens. Like they're supposed to be protected. It's yeah. like yeah, the first time they go or something and they're protected. But then after that, Mustangs. they're not. But yeah, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who will go buy a bunch of these Mustangs at the holding facilities because the ones out west, it's like $125 for your first Mustang. And then it's like 25 or 50 for every Mustang after that. Which and is cheap, right? So cheap. Yeah. So cheap. That's what they're, that's what you get paid for it? Yeah, that's what you pay. That's so what, that's you what pay you pay. You, you get you pay. pay BLM. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You pay them $125 and you get this horse. So these people go and load up trailers full and then just drive across Mexico and kill them. Like there used to be like two and a half million wild Mustangs. And now right now with the Mustangs and burros, it's like around like 90,000. But I mean, they were just like completely like slaughtered off, and it still happens. Are they still using horses for glue? I'm maybe showing Probably. some of my ignorance I don't here. Know. But I, Honestly, I, I, what, what are they killing them for? You. What's the purpose? Meat, meat, yeah. Yeah. eat, Leather. yeah, like meat, mm -hmm. meat, really, mm -hmm. dog food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was like back when I was in high school, we had to do um, this project on like McDonald's and stuff, and like almost every fast food restaurant where they tested the meat there was horse in the meat i've heard really? that, yeah well uh, there is there's stuff that's in your meat that the usda allows a certain yeah. percentage of yeah and let's yeah. just leave it at that there yeah. are probably things that's best left unknown mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well there no more burgers right. <laughs> yeah it's, i mean yeah. it's crazy but I, I guess you have to look at it from both ends, you know, with Mustangs, um, it's the ranchers hate them. So technically they're like an invasive species because they were brought over by the Spanish. So they're not like a natural species in America. So that's kind of how they get their way around it is like, oh, they're an invasive species. Like they're feral horses. They're not like, they haven't always been here. So they don't really have a lot of natural predators to kind of take them out and kind of keep them where they should be. So the ranchers don't want the Mustangs out on the ranges that is for their cattle. So it's like, mm. that's when they started rounding them up because a lot of ranchers were just 
slaughtering these horses because I they just didn't wonder, want to deal with it. I wonder, you know, a lot of times people would make these types of decisions in a vacuum and they, they create, they don't understand the, you know, eco cycle and, and what perhaps taking Mustangs out of the environment could potentially do. Yeah. You know, because you take a species out, then that means that something's going to change. Yeah, something's going to fill that void or continue to grow or whatever. I mean, there's yeah. there's some level of control they must have on the environment. I mean, besides just affecting the cattle. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I would yeah. think. It's, it's a multifaceted problem because on the one hand, this is a uniquely American species. This is the only place where this occurs. And so I think, like, that's the West. That's the cowboy... Yeah. America is the Mustang. It's just integral to that. And I, I think there's something beautiful and special about that, and they should be preserved. On the other hand, they don't have enough natural predators, so then they overpopulate. And then you have you know starvation in the wintertime and a lack of resources for them, so they need to be managed like any other population. Yeah. And then, you know, just as much as the Mustang, you know, cattle ranchers out west, that's, you know, you can't just take that away either. So it's yeah. there's all these things. There's a, What do you do that's good for this animal population? What do you do that's good for... These like other damned industries. if you do, damned if you don't type yeah. thing. Yeah, nobody's ever happy. Yeah, and then, we'll see somebody. And then what do you do with them once they're rounded up? Like, what? what's the purpose? So I think that's... Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm trying to yeah. come in, you know, is like these horses, they, they can't help themselves. You know what I mean? There's literally nothing that they can do for themselves. So it's like we have to do something for them, and that's really the only way around it. So there's a lot of, like, programs that are you know, designed to help Mustangs and stuff, which is awesome. But, um, well, what, that's maybe where I want to take this too, because I think what you've done is you've taken what you've just described as, um, an animal who has now been taken out of its environment. That's, um, you know, taken away from its family, going through serious trauma that is making a transition to some type of new lifestyle, wherever it may be. And it just yeah. so happens they land on your ranch with 40 acres, which is probably, you know, they hit the gold mine here. But, you know, instead of a small little half acre, quarter acre, you know, type of thing where they, they may die of malnutrition or something of that nature. Yeah. But they, they come there. And I think this is a great transition into through that. It's very similar to you taking a veteran yep. who's coming off active duty who may feel broke or other people have told that individual, like we were talking about, Kelly, about being broke. And you're marrying the two together. Yeah. So my nonprofit is a lot different than what, like, Paul does a lot with his equine therapy. So most equine therapy programs, it's like you come and you, like, spend a lot of time with tame horses and you brush them and ride them and do all that where mine is like a very unique like hands-on approach where you know this struggling veteran is going to be paired up with the struggling mustang and you two are going to figure it out together do you, do you try to like find like-minded uh, personalities between the two um so the plan is going to be that like whoever gets selected for the program that I want to be able to take them and kind of let them pick out their Mustang, like whatever one they kind of feel a connection with will be theirs. So then they'll take that Mustang and they'll work with it and they do the entire gentling process. Obviously, you know, I guide them through them, through it and, you know, explain some stuff, go, tell them to watch this video, read this book, like, give them the knowledge that they need because a lot of people that are doing it, they're not horse people, which is perfectly fine. But then, you know, 
they do that healing process together and they learn to like trust each other and come together. And it's, it's really amazing to like watch it happen, you know? And it's just, it's, you learn a lot from horses that you can use in everyday situations. Like when you're working with a Mustang and you're not getting to where you want to get and you start getting frustrated, you need to realize immediately when you get frustrated so that you can walk away, calm down and come back at it and try to get it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, once you do that enough, you become so in tune with yourself that you can start using that at home. When you start getting frustrated with Mm. your wife, your kids, whatever, you can learn to like, okay, I'm starting to feel this way. Let me take a step back, breathe, figure it out and come back at it with like a fresh fresh mind everything's good and we'll go from there because you know there's you can't manhandle it like I've gone through this with Ryan so many times where he will be just like dying out there and he's like (laughs) I'm gonna fucking win this like I'm gonna make it happen I'm like dude you've already lost like get out of there like you cannot manhandle this Mustang into doing what you want it to do like it's gonna kill you and it doesn't work that way like that's not how you win you know you win by like letting that Mustang trust you and you trusting it and you guys like coming together from that. You cannot, you cannot force these horses to do what you want them to do. So it's, it's really cool. Wicked cool. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. really. And yeah. it's like the perfect it, amount of danger too for veterans. Like it reminds I, me of dogs so much. Like, I mean, your emotions travel down the leash, yeah. especially the kind of dogs we were talking about earlier with Malinois and stuff. And yeah. It's, I mean, you, you're like you said, you said it perfectly. If you're that at that point, you've already lost. Yeah. Like, Stop wasting your time. Like, take a break. Because you're only going to, like, especially with horses, you know, you push them to a certain point and you've just lost any amount of trust that you might have built up to that point. So it's like you have to realize that before you do that. And it's the same with a relationship. You know, you have to realize that you're about to say some shit that you can't take back, Yeah. you know, and you have to walk away and just, like, you know, it gives you a lot of confidence too and like a sense of purpose and like all of these things when you can like just do these things with these horses. Like these horses that have never been touched by people when they like trust you enough to come up to you and like let you love on them and like do that stuff. Like it's the most amazing thing ever. So. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. That's why I do it because you get to see this. You can see the emotional release yeah. in somebody because you can't can't lie to a horse exactly if you've got something pent up inside you they know because they they're picking up on pheromones your heartbeat everything because they're herd animals so like all right what's going on with this animal next to me just like a and the canines are very similar and i think it's just it's i always tell people it's a perfect amount of danger it's it's critical you got to do it or you're going to get hurt and you got to do it right you have to be here present in the moment yeah because if you're thinking about iraq or afghanistan or you're thinking about something you messed up in your career or your home life or whatever that's when it's dangerous because you're not picking up on the cues the animal's given to you and that you end up, you know, in a bad spot, you can get injured. So it's, and, and it's critical because you gotta, you gotta keep this thing alive. Like it's a living thing. And I think we yeah, all have that in you. us as a veteran. Yeah. Like we believe in, in preservation of life and taking care of, you know, the mm-hmm. other living beings around us. It just used to be our buddies. So it's, it's a very unique blend. It's a nice way to access things that you can't access just by, talking to a shrink or, yeah. you know. Well, tell me, tell me like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm arriving there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to expect. 
Um, maybe you did send me a video or tell me to read a book or whatever, but I'm walking in the door. Still not sure if this is really going to work, you know, um, but I'm willing to give it a, a go. You know, maybe, maybe Kelly told me about it and he had a great experience, but I'm walking in the door kind of blind and not knowing what to expect. Are you going to make me feed this animal? Are you going to make me live with this animal? Are you, what, what is, what am so I? So that is the goal right now. Obviously the way that I have everything set up, it's, you know, it's where I live. It's, I have my functioning business out of there. So this is something that I'm just starting up, but the plan is going to be to have like bunk houses and stuff like that. So that people can live there because I want it to be like a 14 week program. Like you come and you stay here. What? 14. Why 14? Because I mean, these are wild Mustangs. And it's also another issue with the military is they're so big on like, oh, you're feeling some type of way. Let me send you to a weekend retreat and you're going to be so much better after this weekend. Like, oh, that weekend didn't fix everything for you. That damn, that's crazy. Like mm -hmm. that, that weekend marriage retreat that didn't fix your marriage. Oh, wow. I'm shocked. You know, like it's not like these quick fixes, you know, like they're, we're laughing, but we just talked about how many nonprofit organizations there are that do just that. And at some point, maybe it does, maybe it does affect the individual for that moment in time. And there's a breakthrough opportunity, but they're to your point, maybe also that next step where they revert back to their old habits quickly, rather than learning that yeah. new behavior. I think it can be as detrimental. Sometimes people go and they have an amazing time for a couple of days and then and then you get back you for it. Yeah. And then you're mm, now you're you may be good for a day or two, but now you're back in that same all the yeah. problems to build. Like you never really get to learn new behavior yep. that you can rely on. Yeah. So that's why the 14 weeks, because also like that should be enough time for you to do the entire gentling process, you know, if you're doing it the right way. Because I don't want it to be set up where, you know, every day I've got all of this stuff scheduled for you. You know, I would love for people to, you know, wake up and do like some yoga and meditating and then spend like, you know, the sunrise doing that and then with your Mustang and just hanging out. And it's not even going to be like, okay, you know, you need to do this, this and this with your Mustang today. Like, do what you feel, you know, like, don't just be lazy, but I also want people to do what feels right for them. I feel like a, a lot of programs... Um, they kind of have everything set up and it's very rigid. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I just really don't want it to be that way. You know, mm -hmm. I want it to be just very comfortable and just them being able to, you know, figure their shit out, yeah. you know, and doing it with this horse. I do want, um, I do want people to be going to therapy, like a regular therapy counseling. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like, you know, everybody can benefit. Are you going to provide that, that or? So you know. that's why I have made mine the way that it is, is so that I don't have to do like the clinical end of it. Sure. So, but everybody that's going to go through it, being a veteran, you know, the VA is right there and there's going to be ways to figure all that stuff out. I, I could see this being an excellent program for somebody, you know, we talk about decompressing and maybe the great opportunity rather than having to worry about taking three months away from, you know, maybe if you have a family or but, you know, if you're thinking about and you're listening to something like this and you think this might be a great opportunity, but you're still on active duty and you're getting ready to make the transition, then plan for this type of activity. And I think that everybody needs to plan for their transition by setting aside enough money maybe to, to decompress for 12 months. 
find yeah. out who you are and that this would be the excellent period of time yeah that that 12 months or whatever that you've set aside to find yourself by going through a program like this that allows you to decompress deal with the the things that are you know there that's poking at you and bothering you and everything else yeah. so that you can then be a better human yeah. and you know as you transition out i mean right now obviously i don't have it set up that way so um i've got a girl that's active duty right now she's going through it and basically i'm just like you need to have like four to five days that you can come here and dedicate a couple hours to spending with this horse. So right now it's that. just a couple hours, but you're talking about bunkhouse. Then now you're talking 14 weeks every yeah, day. Yeah, I mean, because I have so many people that message me and they're in California, Colorado, all of these places, and they want to come and do it. And I'm like, hey, uh, we've got to wait for funding. Yeah, yeah, and it's like a funding thing with nonprofits. Well, I mean, true. right now everything that is going on there, like the, the three Mustangs that I got from a holding facility like a month or two ago, you know, everything that I've built up, like that's all coming out of my pocket. So I'm like, I can't really afford to keep doing all of this stuff, you know? So I have to wait for funding to be able to, you know, build the bunk houses or bring in an RV or do something, mm -hmm. you know? So that's... That's always a challenge with nonprofits, mainly because um, there is donor fatigue, you yeah. know, yeah. and there's only so many donors who really will get engaged in a big buck way. Otherwise, you got to do the five dollar, ten dollar, yeah. hundred dollar that takes a long time to build. Yeah. If you can get those individuals who are big donors, well, then they're already probably donating their money from Somewhere tax else. advantages yeah. to certain ones, and sometimes they rotate and allow new ones to come in. But it's a relationship thing too. Yeah. They have to learn more about you, get to know you, hear your story, understand why this is passionate because they're getting ready to invest serious dollars into yeah. it. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a hard, a long road. Yeah. 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 And it, I mean, it's brand new. You know, I just got approved as a nonprofit in the 501c3 like a month ago. Mm -hmm. You know, well, congratulations so, on that. You. That's difficult. That's yeah. not easy. Yeah. No, yeah. it's a freaking process <laughs> so i mean the whole thing is a process and that i guess that's what gets frustrating too because it's like all of these people that want to come and do it and it's like oh my gosh like there is such a demand for this and this could be such an amazing thing but it's just you know finding the right people who want to invest into it and you know now i'm trying to find grants and do stuff like that to mm. get money and i mean there's ways it's just you know grants also cost money to well, apply for to them. Write. So yeah, yeah, so it's like, you know. If you find a good grant writer though, yeah. that's the key, then they can pretty much write any grant yeah. out there. It's almost a, an art. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can find somebody like that that can help you in that process. I, you know, I think um, the struggle is real because you're trying to set up a program. You're really passionate about that and I can hear it in your voice now because now it sounds like you have found your drive, the thing that's yeah. gonna motivate you. And yet there's this thing called money that's holding it up. Yep. And and yet what you may have to do is kind of, I don't know what they call it, prime the pump by allowing individuals to come in and, and shape your program in a very different way in the beginning that may not be what your end game is, but phase one of what you're, you're, where you're headed. So your vision is here, but you have a phase right now that you're going to have to go through where you may have to charge maybe a little bit more from the individual so they have a stake in the game or something. Yeah. To, to come in because it is a 501c3, but unfortunately we can only pay for this much 
and you have to pay for your trip, you have to pay for your lodging, you have yeah. to pay for to have a little bit of skin in the game. And and we also ask for you to make a small donation of X. Yep. And that helps prime that pump, gets the exposure, puts the word out there, the word of mouth that starts coming, hey, I went through this program, that then starts attracting because people are going to want to see a proof of concept. Yeah. You know, have you really done this? That's the hard part. Right. When it comes to... Big donors. These things, the modalities outside of what the VA offers. Yes. Is it's not insurable or covered by insurance, but it's it's going to be like they're we're working on this yeah. across the country. So, you know, to justify equine therapy and animal therapy, just like you do art therapy or, you know, all the other stuff that's out there that's not pills and sitting on the couch <laughs> talking to a shrink. Yeah. And it's and it's moving. It's, it is moving. It's happening. Rutgers University is doing a big study um, where they're actually going to blood test the horses and the participants, it's all veterans with PTSD before and after. So they're going to have oh, that's awesome. all the hormone levels. And they're going to say, this is exactly what happens. This is the result. This is the, the reoccurrence. Well, that's of what you'd have to systems. do for a grant. You, typically, that's the kind of stuff that yeah. a grant's looking for. So, so the industry's moving that way. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it takes time. And yeah. horses are expensive. Even if that's that was all there, I like what you said. And that's the skin in the game. I mean, because that's going to be... I mean, and you know that, like, I'm because you're dedicating your time. You've got yeah. skin in the game for sure. Oh, I've got a lot. <laughs> and it's, yeah, and ensuring that the people that are coming in are really dedicated to it. So not looking for that free handout. You yeah. know, the, we talked about it earlier. The mm -hmm. uh, you said bro vet, but the professional veteran, like trying to avoid that culture. So that is what I've. It's been very frustrating because everybody so far in the bro vet that has gotten a hold of me and been like, oh my gosh, like this is awesome. Like I wanna help you, I wanna get you connections, I wanna do all this. It's all been, you know, just a lot of talk. Mm -hmm. And then the moment that I won't come out, fly out and hang out and, you know, yep. party and do those kind of things, then, you know, I get no connections, I get nothing and they just like will not help. So it's like, they're really, they're really only trying to help you because they're trying to basically sleep with you is yeah. what it's happening in my end. Yeah. And it's very frustrating because, you know, Ryan told me, he was like, you know, people are only going to try and do stuff because they're going to want to sleep with you. And I was very offended. I was like, no, like people are going to want to help because this is like badass But thing. you always have to think what's and, in it for them. Yeah. But yeah. then it's been so frustrating. Like there's been like four people so far that have gotten my hopes up like so high. And then because, you know, I'm, not willing to come out and party and do stupid things they don't help and i'm like okay so who are you really hurting here right you're not hurting me you're hurting the veterans that you're supposedly all about and live your life by and that's what your entire instagram and everything is about like yeah okay whatever well we, we kelly was referring to the professional veteran who uses these opportunities yeah. to they're on the circuit they're yeah, on the, they're on the circuit cool. and yeah. you're going to be one of those circuits where it's yeah. like wow, I can do this for 14 weeks and get this skill and, you know, always under this guise of I'm an injured yeah. person, yeah. right? And then they, that's where the skin in the game comes in, where it's, oh, it's work. I have to, I got to pay my way. You know, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. Well, we were talking about Tom and Scott Spooner. Yeah. Their organization that they have, you know, there's two sides of it. There's a nonprofit, but there's that for-profit side of it too that you pay for. Yep. And I think they have scholarships and stuff like that. But yeah, it's meant for you to have skin in this game. Yeah. Do you really want to be healed? Do you yeah. really want to be helped? Yeah, and that's going to be, I think that'll be huge for you. I don't think there's a problem charging. No, for, I just feel so bad. I'm like, you know, I just. 
I think that's the stigma of but you're nonprofits. Helping, you're helping them in the sense of yeah. if they even if they don't know it. Yeah. Providing that, you know, even if you were flush with cash on this, I still think it's important because it, it forces them to 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 get the skin in the game themselves because they Take may not it realize it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a good point. Yeah. And and it's actually you look at it and you position it in a way of not just, hey, you got to have skin in the game, but you do say that, but it's also a way to help fund and support this, not only for them, but for the future. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to be a participant in this, and this money that you're you're providing is going to be helping you, but then also maybe some proceeds from that can also go to maintaining this facility and helping Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can buy another Mustang for Kelly because now I've got you tied up with a Mustang and Paul tied up with a Mustang. I need a Mustang for Kelly who's coming in. Your money seed money that pays for this and it just rolls. Yeah. And and it's just, again, if people are not willing to do that, maybe that's not what the program, the kind of design program you're looking for. I think a lot of nonprofits out there look solely at, you can be for-profit nonprofit, by the way. There's nothing against the law saying you can't be for-profit as a nonprofit. It's just, are you fulfilling the mission of the 501c3? Yeah. That's what's critical. So uh, with the money that you're receiving. So I think, you know, in, in this sense, what we've, what we've gone to because of bad nonprofits out there that focus so much on demonstrating in a way that they're not about the mission, it has ruined the opportunities for programs like what you're describing here that could really help somebody. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, again, with the donor burnout, within it, think of a different model. Think of a model that allows you to do what you're trying to do, but it's not like you're waiting for that person that's going to pick up the phone and go, Angie, I'm your person. I've got cash sitting over here. I heard you on the military podcast. I'm ready to write a blank check. You know, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Although I have some great fans out there and great people that. that listen to the show. I don't know about fans. That's a, that seems kind of crazy. But if you're listening, but if you're listening, call Angie. Well, I think yeah. I, I, I kind of disagree with that. I mean, yeah, there is some donor fatigue and there is some, a bad taste in some people's mouths about nonprofits, but that's, my passion for the last five years. And I look at what some of the, the things that these places are able to accomplish and the generosity. It's and finding those individuals though, is what I'm saying. It's well, harder it's, to find those. And this is unique though. This is a really, there. these are unique opportunities. This isn't the donor fatigue. It might be on some of the other, like the ski trip, the hunt trip. The, yeah, sure. This is, this is a program yeah. that I don't, I don't think there's a lot of there's anything no, like so it, right? there's I mean, the only other nonprofit that is somewhat similar is, um, like, I forget the name well, of it. It's like Mustang. It's like the prisons out west. Yeah. So there's one in like mm. Arizona and California and something. So this nonprofit brings untouched Mustangs and they bring them into the prison. And, you know, there's certain people that get to be a part of the program. And then the inmates are the ones to do the gentling process. And like the studies and stuff behind them is absolutely amazing. Like the the chances of an inmate going back to prison after being part of this program are almost zero. Where awesome. usually, yeah, usually really after awesome. somebody goes to prison, they get out, they're going to go back. Where if you look at these numbers, like basically none of the inmates who go through this program go back to prison. Like it completely rewires you and just gives you like such a sense of purpose and does like all these amazing things. Like it's, it's that's your proof. Of yeah. I was going to say, there's yeah. your data. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's your that's proof of concept that already exists. For it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I got a dumb question. What happens to the? I'm sorry. I, I was just going to ask. What exactly happens to the Mustangs? going to ask. The Mustangs after they've been so gentled. That's and, like the same thing that I'm going to do at the end of my process is what they do. So at the end, they hold an auction and it's a public auction, and they come out and they auction them off, and they also um, adopt them out to like the border patrol and stuff. So these Mustangs that are literally built to be in this rough train go and work for the border patrol and go. That's cool. Yeah. And then your auction's going to feed right back into yep. the program. Yeah. yeah so I'm going to have it like the people who go through, if you have a really strong connection and you want to stay in the horses, then they have the first opportunity to adopt that horse. If they don't want to adopt, then it's either going to be, we're going to hold, you know, auctions or I will adopted out to an approved home or trying to do like the border patrol and stuff and get them like actual jobs. It's really so. cool too, though, if you could, I mean, you guys probably don't use Mustangs, Paul, and some of the stuff that you're doing no, in therapy. We, we do Braveheart. So, does. so, so if you transition from here, now oh, I've got it now a Mustang that's, you know, now good. Yeah. Oh, and I'm going to put them in another program where you can help another veteran, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, wow. Now you're like, you're yeah. taking it from the wild to the calm yeah. and now you making a purpose for that Mustang. No, yeah. the people are doing that. Yeah. Now, on a yeah. small scale, people are doing that. They're gentling Mustangs or they're adopting Mustangs that have been gentled and they're using them in, in therapy programs. Yeah. Or they're using them in, in recreational programs or what have you. And if you so, get tapped into those resources, then there's where the money, and I cut you off earlier, yeah. or you're talking about that, but maybe you can expand on what you were going to say if you can remember. But you were, I think, going to go about, you disagreed with me about donor fatigue, and, yeah. there, um, and there are individuals that are in this space for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I mean, the, the resources are out there and the will is out there. That's the unique thing about the horse world is that, it's a strong community. They believe very strongly in taking care of animals. They believe very strongly in taking care of veterans and you know other people like that. Like it's a, a, com a compassionate and pragmatic community, and it's it's not inexpensive to keep horses. So the resources are there, and it's a huge industry. I mean, and the the people that make feed, the people that make equipment, things like that, they're not disinterested in supporting these kind of causes. So it's. I mean, in, in five years, I've seen um, Bravehearts build a massive equine facility, and you know, I've seen people build massive riding arenas, and you know, Bravehearts is one of my favorite places to work with. They had us do a, a cutting clinic on cutting horses down in Oklahoma with the best trainers in the world. 16 of them with 16 vets with, I mean, God knows how much. For all those of the who don't know what that away. is, to, you know. Yeah, cutting is, you know, cutting and sorting cows. And it's it's something that you do competitively. And they, they donated all their time. We were at this beautiful, we were at the Cowan Ranch, this beautiful ranch. They put us up, fed us, and taught us how to do real cowboy shit uh, awesome. with real cows. I mean, it, it was amazing. And all, we didn't, none of the vets paid a dime, you know, and it, they were happy to do it and we were happy to be there and it was mutually beneficial because yeah. it's their opportunity to give back too. But it's just finding those people sure. that is like yeah. the hardest part for me because, you know, I've just been yeah. a very well, small we'll, fish. We'll connect. Yeah. We'll connect, yeah. Because, I mean, like, I've got people that want to do the programs I'm involved in, but they're in, 
the Carolinas, you know, yeah. or what I, have I you. Even so think it's, this, it all just kind of works out that way. This cutting thing that you're talking about was really cool when you were describing it last night, because then if you think of, you know, the horse cutting, you know, that's where you see it. The cattle goes left, the horse goes right to cut it off. And then it, yeah. you know, it goes, the cattle turns, it does yeah, the same you're out, thing. You're trying and to outmaneuver, you're trying to juke and jive with the and cow. Me, and many horse. times we were talking about how the horse actually is in full control and the rider for the most part just may be just letting yeah. go. And you think about that from a therapy standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, well, this it's is deep stuff. Yeah. 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 That's with a lot of like things with horses, like barrel racing. I do a lot of barrel racing and I cannot tell you how many times I get in my horse's way because I yeah. think that I need to control it. And my horse knows exactly what he's doing. And we mess up because I'm like trying to control it. So it's like, yeah, just trying to freaking yeah, let the horse go is the and athlete. trust the horse that knows his job and it's not going to mess up. But that's a very, yeah. <laughs> very hard thing to do. It is hard. Especially yeah. when you're flying. But it's good. Yeah. When you listen to this, yeah. you know, especially based on what we were talking about earlier, post-traumatic stress, people trying to look at, find ways to heal how much we're trying to, you know, in this show specifically too, is, you know, tell people that's what you need to go and do. Um, you came, especially also to, you came from dog handling, canine handling and stuff like that. And you're yeah. very familiar with animals. What does, what does this mean to you? What does it sound like? I think it's huge. I mean, I guess, I mean, from a therapy perspective, it's awesome, but I also hear uh, potentially job opportunity for people, right? This is yeah. a new skill that people can, you're going to need handler, uh, handlers, ranch hands. Or well, I mean, whatever. I'm talking about the veteran coming through. Oh yeah. yeah that's yeah. a potential direction for them to go that they would never otherwise have an opportunity to do. Yep. And um, that's kind of what that prison does too. They yeah. offer like, um, farrier, like all kinds of different things. So they can take that once they get out of prison, they, okay, now you're, you're a farrier. So yeah. now you have a job skill, like go work, go do something. Yep. That's what I hear. I hear, I mean, the therapy in the program, but also, you know, I, I, I mean, I'd love that opportunity, you know? I mean, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. And and I know we talked about earlier with the dogs, having a dog overseas, coming back from a mission, you know, being able to have that there. And I, I, I can see it with the horses. You guys have the experience. I don't, but I mean, there's just that. And they're so wild, even, even a tamed horse, yeah. you know, it's kind of like having a Malinois where it knows how to bite. It knows how to do, this is a, this is a machine, an athlete, yeah. right? It's different than your pet at home. You yeah. know, and when you work with them, there's a real sense of purpose. It's a totally different beast. Yeah. Um, so I could imagine horses would be very similar, especially something like this. Yeah. yeah. Well, good, a, a good illustration of this and like how powerful this can be. Um, Bravehearts, they're the largest um, veteran equine assisted therapy outfit in the world. Um, they serve a ton of vets, but they also do a 20 mile ride in select cities called Trail to Zero. So, and we've done, we had a Mustang in Times Square. Hell yeah. It was freaking awesome. And these guys are from Vietnam, you know, women that have, you know, they have their experiences that cause trauma in the military. Like these are people that, you know, some of us can't talk to people. We can't be in crowds. We can't do this thing, mm -hmm. but they've been working with these animals for sometimes years. And they've gotten to this place where they're in Times Square. We're surrounded by people just like it's New Year's Eve. And there's, you know, the mounted police are with us. It's chaos. But this person who like maybe had all the PTSD symptoms, couldn't yep. go out, couldn't talk, couldn't interact, couldn't do crowds. They're there. Yeah. They're with their animal and they're doing it. And they're doing it for a good cause. You know, Symbolism we reach millions like of people, crazy. you know, but it's because they have that animal and because of the people they met, because you can't train a horse alone. 
You can't raise a horse alone. I mean, you can, you could get it done, but really you always, you, you gotta have help. You know, if you ever want to leave your farm or you ever have, you know, it's just not something you can do solo. So you, you end up forming these relationships of, of trust with the other people. And a so community, now, right? It's yeah. A, yeah, exactly. And it, and it allows them to go and do something like that. And then at the end of the day, we're riding through Central Park and I'm talking to a Sikh on a carriage with his giant gra- draft horse and I'm sitting on a quarter horse. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing in the world. It's yeah. like the most American thing I can do right now. It's, it's, a, it's awesome. So It's a beautiful thing. It is. And that's yeah. how far you can go. Is You can go from somebody that's isolating and is you know, damaging their relationships because they're not talking to the people that love them and they're affecting their professional um, life because they're not able to get out and go to work and perform to riding through a crowded city and speaking to people on behalf of the, the veterans that are taking their own lives. What I like about this a lot too, though, is that you're using a Mustang, which anybody, I mean, if I said Mustang, what is that? When you think of a Mustang as a horse, what is it? What's the first thing that comes to mind? It's a rebel, an outlaw, you know? you know, uh, uh, on your own and, and all that kind of stuff. And what a great animal then to pair. Yeah. Again. American Mustangs and yeah. American veterans. Like they're literally like yeah. the two freaking yeah. coolest things. Yeah. Yeah. They're, well, that, that's our horse, yep. like collectively. I mean, they're on BLM land. That's yeah. our, if you think of animals as property, like it's ours. It's like, we got to take care of them. And I think that's what, probably why it resonates so much with you and yeah. other veterans. It's like we, the vets are the same. You know, like we got to take care of these guys. Well, I think so. history-wise, wasn't there a lot of Native Americans that actually chose the Mustangs, you know, especially out west? And I guess it was maybe a Montana one. I mean, I don't know if it was the Apache or which tribe it was. I'm curious now that we're talking about this to see if there was something there as well, that they chose that specific horse because of maybe some rites of passage. And maybe I'm going too deep, but I just wonder, you know, if there was something there you know, well, when yeah. you chose a Mustang, it meant something if you saw, you well, know, from their it, heritage. Well, it could make it. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah Mustangs are, are like the, yeah, they're like, it's survival of the fittest, you mm-hmm. know? Like, they are so durable and strong. Like, it is crazy. You take a Mustang and then you take, like, a domesticated, like, $100,000 horse that is pumped for, like, all kinds of supplements and trained, that Mustang is going to outdo that horse any day of the week like in an actual situation like out on terrain and doing so like they are just they're so like strong like it's amazing it's crazy their feet are amazing like they're just built to last and like it's just it's so cool so what's the name of the the nonprofit for people who might be listening uh the veteran mustang mission okay and how can they find it um so on my instagram and then i also have an instagram that i just started for the veteran mustang mission so it's veteran period Mustang, period mission. And then my Instagram is Angie underscore rides. And that's like in my little bio right there too. So website or anything? The website is in the making right now. Okay. So So how do they reach out if they listen and they want to donate and they go, Hey, I I, want to reach out. So if they get a hold of me, I've got, you know, the type thing. Yeah. Um, I've got everything set up through my bank with, the EIN number and stuff. So once the website is up, you'll obviously be able to donate on there. And then we're going to start doing like some shirts and stuff like that to start funding the program that way. A lot of times people are looking for information just, just about like 
you know, where's the money going to go to, how, you know, how is it going to be used and all of that. So I'm assuming this website that's going to be coming out very soon will give you all those types of yeah. details. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, any money that we get is literally spent to feed and take care of the horses to maintain the property, you know, even building like the corrals. When you first get a Mustang, you have to have, you know, like a six foot corral and like they're, they're nuts. They'll like jump that crap. So, I mean, it's expensive to start it all up. So horses are not cheap. Like Paul yeah. said, they're not cheap at all. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people may not understand that when you start up a nonprofit, you're really giving up something already. A for-profit entity, you're taking in the profits. It's your business. When it's a nonprofit, it's no longer your business. Yeah. It is It is a mission to support, and you have a board of directors that leads that mission. It's a very different. So you're already, you know that there was something that you were passionate about. You could have started as a for-profit and led it down a very different path, but you decided to let that go. But you created the foundation in a way with the vision that hopefully your board understands your vision that they can take it to the next level. Yep. And, and that says a lot when you're able to do that and give of yourself and, and you still have to be at arm's length at some ways, you know, because, you know, even though you're a founder, there's no such legal title as founder. Yeah. You know, you're it's board. Yeah. That was mission. the scary thing. Cause yeah. I was like, man, I gotta make sure that my board of directors are people that I can be like, Hey, um, yeah, <laughs> trust. And can we please do this yeah, this yeah. way? Like, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, my board is awesome. It's all female veterans, so they're on board 100. percent Like, they're all about what I'm about. So I feel like it's it's good. Angie, thanks for coming on the Mentors Military yeah, Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah.